have an ambivalent relationship with fantasy. Um, it was probably the first genre that I just absolutely fell in love with. And um, yeah, it's just still to this day, like one of the most inspiring things to read in some ways. Um, just, you know, every version of fantasy has something that is different from life as we know it. And so it's this branching off point, right, from our reality. And in that sense, it's so interesting. But I have two qualms. Um, first is that I really honestly believe, as much as it is difficult at times, that the world we live in is the best of all possible worlds in the sense that if narnia or middle earth or you know whatever pick your replacement your substitute burke um arendelle whatever it would be if it were better that the universe would be set up in such a way that we live there instead of here right um and I know that sounds crazy, but the other thing is the more that I have read fantasy, the more I'm just seeing the holes in it, I guess, the flaws. Um, so take Harry Potter. It, you know, I didn't even start reading it for myself. I was in elementary school and I had a teacher who would read it to us, but we only had her once a week. So you know, every week, I was just like, oh, man, like, this is the best part of the best day of the week is finding out what's going on at Hogwarts. And my favorite character was Dumbledore. Um, I think even, you know, throughout the books, my favorite character was Dumbledore. Uh, and it's partially because, you know, he's just this, he's the most powerful character. He's the smartest character. Um, you know, Voldemort is afraid of him. And he's always so wise and quotable, right? Like, he just is in every way elite and expert um but as the series goes on you start to see a little bit more of how he's very flawed as well as a leader as a human um and i think you know in the last couple years especially i've just really been disappointed i think with a lot of things about that entire universe um I mean, and don't get me wrong, there were some interesting things. I think, you know, it's interesting to read something like, I want to say it's the fourth book in 2020, uh, or the fifth book, where, you know, we're in this era of, um, you know, talking about systemic racism and things like that. But in fantasy, races are like different creatures, different magical creatures. So in Harry Potter's you know universe um there are goblins and centaurs and vampires and werewolves and um dragons uh all kinds of things giants and one of the things that jk rowling brings to the fore is how wizards think they're superior to all of these other things um so to be a pure-blooded wizard is considered greater better preferential superior to being a half-blooded wizard or a no-blooded wizard like a first generation wizard 
I don't really understand genetically, biologically, how that's supposed to work, how you can just have the wizard mutation. Um, because as far as I can tell, wizards in this universe are still supposed to be biologically human. They just have some innate ability to cast magic that is inexplicable and un not very well understood. And of course, you know, anytime there's differentiation, instantly we jump to, oh, well, we're just better than them. It um, reminds me of in the X-Men how mutants are called homo superior. I mean, they're the persecuted bunch, but they're superior. And um, yeah, my issues with Harry Potter are actually not related to magic. They're related to the mentality. It's interesting because as much as J.K. Rowling has Hermione be this voice of equality, right? She is the Society for the Promotion of Elfish Welfare, SPEW, which is a very unfortunate name. But she's this advocate for justice and equality. And um, she learned some lessons the hard way of like, hey, look, this is what house elves are used to. This is what they want. They don't all want to be free. There are some, like Dobby, who are very passionate about you know this alternative um, way of living. but. I think for a lot of them, they're just, this is all they know. This is what they're content with. They don't, to be dismissed from um, from serving other people is foreign to them, right? It's, it's unimaginable and it like legitimately leads to depression, even when they've been abused. Uh, you see an example of this in Creature, um, who was the Black family's house elf. He is so warped, so twisted. I mean, but you got to remember who he served. This family would like mount the heads of house elves on their wall, previous ones. So, you know, he lived an immensely long time and he was abused by everybody that lived there, whether it was, you know, these dark wizards or Sirius himself treated him like garbage. And so the fact that Harry treated him with a little bit of kindness you know, won him some loyalty. It, it mattered in the end. Um, and the same with Regulus, right? Like, so, yeah, there are the people who see um, these, you know, subhuman, non-human, whatever, whatever the appropriate qualification is, categorization is, um, these species, they... Uh, they benefit from it, right? Like not trying to oppress them, not trying to take advantage of them, but just respecting them, honoring them, valuing them to some degree. But then you get to the interactions between the wizards themselves. And obviously you can tell that JK is not about, you know, this blood nonsense, right? Like you can tell she's totally a Gryffindor homer and she despises Slytherin and it comes out in the way that she writes. I mean, there are a few Slytherin who aren't the worst humans in history. Um, but they all, you know, like none of them are these enduringly likable characters. You have Slughorn who, I mean, he's he's not threatening, like, right? Like he's not scary, but he's also this coward and he just wants to be popular, right? Like that's that's his thing. He just, he wants to collect people who are interesting and special to form his slug club because he doesn't feel like he's enough of that himself so he wants the glow 
of his former students um, or future, you know, stars, celebrities in the wizarding world. And then you have Snape, who is so terrible for six books, and then you get just the littlest bit of compassion for him in books five and seven. Just the smallest. You know, the A Princess Tale might actually be my favorite chapter in um, The Princess Tale. Maybe that's what it's called. In all of the series. But I've read some things, you know, some other people's perspectives on it since then. And I was just kind of like, man, like you really can't undo like all of the horrible choices that Snape made in his whole life with this, you know, this one chapter. Yeah, it sucks. Like he had he had a rough life and um, he was definitely bullied and, you know, did not come from privilege. And in fact, had a lot of the same obstacles that Harry did. But he chose differently, right? Like he, he made his choices and he made bad choices. And at the end, yes, there is an element of redemption. Snape was incredibly brave and it is worth mentioning. He's the one who killed Dumbledore, not Voldemort. Um, and he killed Dumbledore on Dumbledore's orders. He was incredibly loyal um, by the end. Not to say that he had no virtue, but he's not this guy that you necessarily root for until he's dead. He's just a jerk. He he is a person who was hurt and becomes someone who grows up to hurt other people. He just makes Harry's life miserable, never believes him, goes out of his way to belittle him, to attack him, to you know, to punish him for the sins of his father which is not okay. He just, he resents him. Um, yeah, it was. And then there's nobody in Harry's year who's a Slytherin who's worth anything. Um, I mean, I guess maybe the greatest wizard of all time, Merlin, is considered, is, is a, was a Slytherin. But even if you go back and you look at some of the legends about Merlin, he was not, this exemplary mortal character anyway. Um, but I think, you know, going back to the founding of Hogwarts, right, it's... Let me say this. I think one of the coups of um, J.K. Rowling's saga is that she convinced, you know, Americans that boarding school was cool, right? Like, we all wanted our letters so that we could go, you know, live in a dorm in a um in an old castle right like without i don't i don't know it's just it's interesting there's a way to spin this where like it's totally delusional right it's totally like ridiculous and yet yeah if i had the choice like would i think twice about it but then i but now i think about it as a grown-up right about like obviously i don't have children but um but would i want the children that i know to go to Hogwarts and what what are they really learning there? Um, because I think again to the founding of Hogwarts, here is um, we have these four houses, right? And you know I was reading in um, in Braving the Wilderness, Brene Brown was talking about um, how she feels like our modern society is a little bit like divergent where you have these different factions and you know like that's what your loyalty is to this absolute loyalty this faction you're pitted against the other factions and 
honestly, I feel like that's a little bit of what Hogwarts is, right? Like you are separating these people based on this trait that they all have in common. And the idea is not, oh, hey, like it would be really good to get a mix of these traits, right? Like it's, <laughs> um, it's let's, let's isolate them. So there's this musical called Puffs and I wouldn't recommend it. It's crude and yeah, just, but, but I was surprisingly sweet by the end of it um, and surprisingly sad. Those are not ways that I expected to feel. I don't love comedy as a genre to begin with. Um, I don't like feeling like I'm obligated to laugh or being like forced or tricked into laughter. Like, tell me something that's actually inspiring and make me smile or make me laugh. Don't just tell me something stupid. Um, don't drag me down to the lowest common denominator and expect me to applaud for you. Sorry, I have my issues. But, um, but yeah, I, you know, in Puffs, they did such a good job of pointing out, like, you know, they, they rebranded some of this. And so the four houses are Braves, Puffs, Smarts, and Snakes. And I think that that pretty much clarifies, right? Like, so Godric Gryffindor, he prioritizes people who are brave. And I don't think being brave is a bad thing at all. I think it's a very good thing. But I don't know that that's the, the quality that I would want to be like, okay, well, this is the def defining thing, right? Like everybody that's brave needs to be in this house. Um, and the same thing with Ravenclaw, right? Like, I'm definitely a product of a culture that values, especially book smarts, um, you know. So, yeah, like, I am pretty sure if you actually asked 11-year-old me, I would have been a Ravenclaw. Like, that would have been the identity that I'd had my whole life, right? It's like, hey, you're this whatever. Like, you're, I was, people treated me as if I were a genius, which, I mean, whatever, like, I'm not. But you know, it's it's just funny. Like that was the expectation. That was the whatever. Like, um, and again, like that. That's not. It's not bad, right? It's a good thing. You you would rather be smart than not smart, right? You'd rather be well read. You'd rather be educated. You'd rather be whatever, right? But. And then with Slytherin, it's, oh man, I, uh, so that's, okay. So the first time I took the sorting hat quiz, I got Hufflepuff and I was so offended. Well, the, then I went back several years later, I don't even know, maybe five or six years later and wanted to get sorted again. Uh, I mean, I didn't want to get sorted again. It actually lost my information. And I had gotten used to the idea of being a Hufflepuff, right? Like I'd, I'd come around to see some of the good side and we'll get to that in a minute, but I took the test again, and now my official Pottermore result is Slytherin. And again, the one house that I was like, there's no way. Like, this is the one result I don't want, and that's what I got. And so here's my issue with Slytherin is it's – I feel like it is the most American house and the most, um, you know, the most brown-appropriate house because – Slytherin, I feel like, is the house that wins at all costs, right? Like, the priority there is, I mean, think about it, right? Like, Slytherin is the house for you if you value networking. If you value, And again, not to say that these are bad things at all, 
Um, but some the combination of these things and prioritizing these things over everything else, that there's some problems there, right? So they're the networking house, the pedigree house, the um, that might be a little bit of a problem. The uh, the money house, um, obviously the dark house, like the house with the affinity for darkness and racism, which, okay, those are actually problems, but um, but also the house for resourcefulness and cunning and, um, yeah, just there's a reason that their emblem is a snake. Um, it's, yeah. So anyway, I feel like I'm the only person in the world with Hufflepuff envy. Um, but, you know, I had a friend who was who was sorted as Hufflepuff, according to, I don't even know what, but um, they were, you know, complaining about it. And like, just, you know, they wanted to be something more interesting. Hufflepuff is just kind of blah. Like it's even in the name, right? Like Hufflepuff. You have Gryffindor, which sounds kind of cool. Like Griffins are an interesting concept. And Ravenclaw, like, I mean, it, it annoys me a little bit that for those two houses, like the Griffin, Gryffindor's mascot is not a griffin, it's a lion. And Ravenclaw's mascot is not a raven, it's an eagle. I didn't like that. But um, but they're still like, I don't know, those are like pretty like nice sounding, especially compared to something like Hogwarts. Like, but you stop and think about it, I'm like, that's kind of gross. Um, and they're like, you know, their motto or whatever is never tickle a sleeping dragon. It's stop and you think about it and you're like, okay, not sure this was entirely meant to be take, as taken as seriously as I'm taking it. But, you know, I have this soft spot for Helga Hufflepuff because at the beginning, right, these founders were like, well, we call priority on these people. We call priority on these people. We call priority on these people. And she was like, just give me the rest. I don't, I don't care, right? Like they don't need to be special in this way. They don't need to have distinguished themselves by the age of 11 as brave or smart or um, backstabby. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't like Slytherin. I, I don't understand why it exists and why it was tolerated for a thousand years as a house. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's kind of dumb. Like this whole setup, right? Is it's making you exclusive, making you kind of elitist and snobby in your own way. Um, and like Hufflepuff ends up being the biggest house every year because it's the house that will take anybody, right? And what really, what they value is hard work. And um and diligence and uh, honesty, loyalty. I mean, sorry, what am I saying? Hard work, fairness, loyalty, right? Justice. Um, there's actually a little bit of overlap between Hufflepuff's values and Gryffindor's values, which again makes me feel like Hufflepuff was kind of like the last thing she came up with. And she's like, I really can't think of anything to go with such a ridiculous name. So I'm just going to make them the whatever house. Um, but, but I think of it this way, right? You... Where if when Jesus came and he called his disciples, he didn't call them and say, "Okay, well, you know, I want the bravest people." Um, and if, you know, if you have the courage, follow me. And he didn't go and say, "Well, I want the most educated people." If you have the learning, if you have the intellectual what are acumen, follow me. And he didn't go and say, "Well, I want the people with the like purest bloodline." or with the most um, real, like connections, right? The, the wealthiest people or the most influential people. You guys can follow me. 
I feel like at least those last two would have had a significant amount of overlap in the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? The priests of that era. But Jesus came to like fishermen, tax collectors, um, you know, people who had formerly been possessed, a zealot, um, just not the creme de la creme of society. Not that those people were rejected. It was just harder for those people. Like they had more to lose. They benefited from the way society was set up. And when Jesus came and set up his upside down kingdom, he didn't come for the people who already had this identity that was based on this other stuff. He came for like, honestly, the losers, the leftovers. And not that the winners don't have a place in the kingdom, because I think they do. I don't think God wants us to stay losers. And I don't think God like comes to us and says, well, you know, you're a loser. You should definitely follow me. What do you have to lose? Right. I think, um, I don't, I don't think that's how it is, but you know, he's God, right? He's, he's this perfect God. He doesn't need any of us. He didn't need any followers, right? Like I always get hung up on this because if I were Jesus, I wouldn't have called anyone. I would have just done it myself and I'd still be here to this day. Like I would have never ascended. I would have never died on the cross. I would have been like, are you kidding me? How can you kill me off? How is the church going to function without me? I wouldn't just be the head of the church. I'd be the whole church myself. Why would I hand anything over? to a human to screw it up when I could do it perfectly. But that's not the way that God thinks, right? Like he grafts in the worst of us, the least of us. Um, and he doesn't even define those things the way that we do, right? Like the people that we look up to and admire, right? Like I think so much about the celebrities that I have these vaguely fuzzy feelings about. And I'm like, but I don't know anything about them. And I'm scared to find out because often the things I find out are so disillusioning, right? Sometimes being in the, um, sometimes having the option or the accessibility to that much power and wealth and whatever, like it just gives you the opportunity to sin so much harder and so much more um, flagrantly and hard-heartedly than some of us do because you don't get the immediate consequences always. Um, and honestly, literally, you can do some things that, that we can't, like, right? Like, um, some of these guys have choices that will never be offered to me. And a lot of times I have been resentful of that. But now I look back and I'm like, well, thank God I wasn't in that position because I would have messed that up even like so much worse. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I have Hufflepuff envy. And not because. You know, I'm just, I, I wouldn't want to go to Hogwarts, right? Like thinking about it now, I'm like, man, I wouldn't want to go. I uh, I don't want to be a wizard. I don't want to live in a world where, you know, like again, so to go back to what I was saying about Dumbledore, he's this great character, right? Like he, great in the, in the human understanding of greatness. But I think Harry is ultimately much greater and not just because Harry is the one who defeated Voldemort, but because at the end of the day, like Dumbledore had his stuff and he never dealt with it, right? Like he had this trauma from his childhood and he never, I mean, not his childhood, but from when he was a young man and he never dealt with it. He may or may not have killed his sister and he let the guilt and the shame from that and his unrequited, maybe unexpressed crush for his childhood best friend turn slash, you know, like the previous darkest wizard in all of history. Um, keep him from doing the right thing and again and again he just minimized himself he never like strangely enough for someone as accomplished as him right perhaps the most accomplished person since merlin he 
didn't um he just he didn't do it right like there were so many there were the world needed him to step up and he wouldn't do it and so again and again through these books it's harry that has to save the day everything falls on a kid right in the first book he's 11 an 11 year old not even a teenager right like not even two-thirds of the way to adulthood even wizarding adulthood it has to has to save the day and so these students are continually endangered because the adults around them are what like you're telling me dumbledore is this brilliant brilliant person but like he can't figure out stuff that these first years are able to solve Or is he just using them as bait? Either way, it's a problem. It's just, it's frustrating because I get it, right? Like it's aimed at children. So children have to be the heroes, but like why, why are even the good adults like so, like the good powerful adults so like worthless? Um, you know, I think of book five where Dumbledore just keeps Harry at arm's length and he doesn't explain until the end why he did it. He's just cold. And this is somebody that was a mentor to Harry, right? Like somebody who um, just Harry really looked up to. He, he didn't have a father. He didn't have a grandfather that was around. And so like, especially when it came to wizard things, this was the, his go-to person, this very powerful, influential person. And, you know, and he's been this, this huge like person that was always in his corner from the beginning the book start the very first harry potter book starts with dumbledore in harry's driveway i mean in the dursley's driveway um i think delivering harry and so you know like from the beginning he's been this guy that has watched over him and taken care of him and yet in this moment of like in this very difficult year after processing like his mortal enemy is back like fully back in the flesh and you know in this year, he has to deal with it all by himself. Dumbledore's not there for him. And then, again, Dumbledore is just reckless. And he ends up letting himself, right? Like, at the end, he gets injured, and he doesn't really want to get better. He, he plans the way that he's going to die. And he abandons the other... He abandons the wizarding kind when they need him the most. And it's just... It's frustrating. It's frustrating. Um because he should have been there because harry and everyone else needed him and he could have done something yeah he, he wasn't supposed to save the day fine but he could have done something and he chose the easy way out again and again and again um and again he was sorted into gryffindor and i don't think that's wrong i think in a lot of ways he was very he was very brave he was the person that was willing to stand up to the government stand up to voldemort right like he made a mistake when he was a young man. He basically was the first generation uh, or a previous generation of what Voldemort tried to do. Um, but he learned and he did better and he became a fierce opponent. But two things. I think Dumbledore would have made just as much sense as a Slytherin, especially young Dumbledore. And... <clears throat> I think Dumbledore would have been a lot better off as a Hufflepuff, because if you're going to, um, if you're going to isolate people, better to be isolated with people who are loyal and kind, right? I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, 
we feel this need to be extraordinary, that we need to be somehow, you know, superlative, that we need something to distinguish us from everyone else. And so we just become competitive and we, we feel like our value and our worth comes from being the best in some way, or at least better than someone in some way. But I don't think being a puff is about mediocrity. I think it's about accepting our limits. It's about knowing that we are interdependent, that we can't do anything alone, right? At the end of the day, we, yes, but maturity requires us to be responsible for ourselves. And we don't want to slack off and we don't want to push that onto other people. But at the same time, like we need each other. We were designed for community. And so, you know, instead of the reckless pursuit of glory or the reckless pursuit of knowledge, or the reckless pursuit of whatever it is that snakes are interested in, um, you know, just instead of that, like we, we, you learn from an age, right? Like, hey, that's not what the story is about. That's not what what we're here for, right? Like, yeah, congratulations, you learned a lot about herbology or potions or whatever. But really, like one of the key functions of school that often is lost is that school is teaching you how to how to be a human. Um, and I think that the lesson that we need to learn is we'll take the rest and that, yeah, loyalty, kindness, and hard work, you can't put a price on that. 